Hello you, it's me, Graham Norton here. Thank you for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose. What a packed weekend we had, so here's what to come. Actress Laura Haddock gives us an insight of the brand new Downton Abbey film, A New Era. Comedian Jason Byrne zooms in from Ireland to give us details of his tour on Blocked. Tom Felton joins the cast of 222, A Ghost Story, and was on the show to tell us all about it. And guess the guest made a return. Plus, show chef Martha gave us some kitchen inspiration and made up a laid-back dessert to celebrate Eid. That's all to squeeze in, but first, let's catch up with Maria and solve some more of your Graham's Guide dilemmas. I'm late this morning. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. No, it's <laughs> oh, no, White really... Bunnies tomorrow, isn't it? Is it? Well, it's bank holiday weekend and it's the 1st of May. Oh, OK. I thought the rabbits were normally associated with Easter. Uh, but what oh, do I know? I don't know either. <laughs> I think we but neither of us know what's going on no, in the world. For, the, first, the first of the month is, uh, is ra- you, for some reason, you go rabbit, rabbit. Uh, but I don't understand what that's about. Does anyone? Oh. Anyone? Anyone? No. I don't know. No. Anyway. Uh, what are we someone will, someone uh, will tell us. Yes, in the fullness of time. Yes. <laughs> we'll ignore Graham, that text. I have my own problem this morning that I would like to share with you. <gasps> Please do. Yeah. Do you see what I did? I put a black T-shirt in the washing machine with some other things. And I know first world problems. <laughs> no, but also, but a... How old are you? How old are you and how many washing machines have you brewed? <laughs> I know. But listen, listen. Um, I put it. There was a tissue. A tissue of lies in there as well. So how do you get all the bits off? This black T-shirt is now speckled all over. Do I just go over it with sellotape like a saddest person in the world? What do you do? Or throw it away? No, you don't. Well, don't throw it away. Also, I always think with things like that, just wear them. Because then it'll kind of fall off in the fullness of time. And people will kind of think, oh, look, that must have happened since she left the house. Because she wouldn't have put that on knowingly. (laughs) She would. (laughs) So people people assume. It's like if you've got a big stain on something. Just (sighs) wear it. People will think it'll happened since you put it on. People won't think you were disgusting enough to put on something dirty. That's my (laughs) philosophy. Uh, there. That's, and you asked me how old tip. am I? You no, asked no, me how I, old am I? I've got a stain. I'll wear it anyway. <laughs> well, that's the wisdom of my years. I've learned that over the years. Very good. It's very good. That's Graham. how you do that. But no, I think uh, the the sellotape around your hand uh, and just dab, 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 dab. But also, I wouldn't dab the whole thing. Just dab the bits you can see, and then you know other people can live with seeing a bit of tissue on your black t-shirt that's what i would say (laughs) the other problem that i have this morning i've got two this morning is i'm going to have my hair naturally blonded later i having my roots done and i just i'm wondering graham is it too late for me to go with a a hint of minky pink (laughs) yes yes it is oh no how damning no i think under 20 pop star over 40, Mrs. Slocum. That's what I would say. <laughs> <laughs> that's very funny. Um, yes, okay. That's okay. I'm crossing, I'm crossing that off the list, Graham. I no, am... but I do see, I do see, like Helen Mirren did it for a while there. She had the, a, little, a little pink rinse. So you can do it. I mean, also, do what you like. Shave your head. I don't mind. You know, just if it floats your boat. Do it. And also, you're lucky you live in Hastings where such things would not would not raise an eyebrow. If you yes, but Graham, the thing hair. is, I'm going away on a job. I've got to pack for three weeks away. I haven't packed forever since lockdown. I've got, so far, I've got a tea cosy and a dog squeaky toy, even though the dog isn't coming. 
I don't you know how to pack you're, anymore. You're working. Yeah, I, it's a top secret project for the BBC. I cannot speak about it. It's oh, me as the new like... prime minister. It's following me as I <laughs> attempt to be the new prime minister. It's a reality show. <laughs> That's why I need the tissue off my white, off my black T-shirt. I can't present that image as the new PM. No, but also, can I just say, as new PM, don't go with the pink hair. I really, I really feel it's a mistake. It might okay. undermine your authority. Well, uh, have you that, got... you know, what, what? Oh, I was You're closing you me you down. Your You're closing me down. I am. I'm, yes, I'm, I'm, yes, I'm yes. shutting this down. Good. Yes. I have yes, got two letters, as per usual. Excellent. It's a format. Let's stick to it. Virgin Radio. Okay. Do you want me to read out loud? Oh, all right then. Yeah, go on it's, then. It's what I'm here for, but I don't do it very well. <laughs> I will warn you that in advance. <laughs> here we go. <clears throat> Dear Graham and Maria, I've got a friend that I've been friends with for years and years. We're both in our mid to late 40s and live in a small town. Last summer, there was a kiss between us under the influence of whiskey. To be honest, I wasn't sure it happened at all because we never discussed anything and carried on as normal. <laughs> Clue one. Last week, there was a great night out and we ended up going home together. In the morning, as we went our own ways... I told him I didn't want this to be a one-night stand. But he told me that he doesn't want a relationship and that he's stuck in his ways. I'm single and he's divorced with the family, so his responsibilities are greater than mine. I get that he's got a lot on his plate, but since we had that lovely night together, I'm feeling like a hormonal teenager, unable to think or function in a normal way. Looking back, I think since the kiss last year, I've been... Burying, I don't know. Oh, oh, yeah. Burying and managing my feelings without acknowledging them. Now, I'm looking at two options. I can either carry on in the traditional nothing happened atmosphere and ride through some awkward silences until the road levels again. Or carpe diem, tell him how I feel in an appropriate way so he might understand that it's continuing a relationship we already have as opposed to something new and tumultuous coming into his life. We're not getting any younger and I think we're both stuck in our ways. I don't want to encroach on his domestic life, nor do I want him living with me or using me. But I think we could enjoy our lives as they are. Plus some intimacy when time allows. allows. I look forward to your wise and honest thoughts as I've not told any friends. And that is from Mary in Fife. Mary in Fife, I'm glad you haven't told your many friends because I wouldn't bother. I'm here to let you down gently. We've all had that hormonal thing. You're single. You've got Let's say we, you haven't got enough to think about because you've gone full circle on this and you now want a relationship with a man who clearly, I'm sorry to say, doesn't. I mean, you say, I think we could enjoy our lives as they are, plus some intimacy when time allows. That's called a booty call or friends with benefits. I don't think you want that. You're thinking you may be able to change him. The kiss, after the kiss, nothing happened. After the one night stand, he categorically told you that he doesn't want anything more. I'm really sorry, Mary from Fife, but I would move. <laughs> move oh. villages, move somewhere else. And, you know, it's difficult because this thing has happened and now you're always going to be hankering for more. And to me, it's clear. And everybody will tell you, Mary and Fife, you cannot change someone's mind. If they've told you categorically, then you have to accept that. Graham, what are your thoughts? Oh, my heart breaks for Mary because Mary, 
if you look, read read your letter again, Mary, because by the end, you're so desperate. You're you're willing to accept anything. It's like a sort of you know a, a dog at the table begging for scraps. Just kind of a, oh, just crumbs. I I just any any little thing. I, I'm happy. Anything will keep me happy. Just anything. And and you're worth more than that, Mary. Yes, you, quite. Uh, and and I just think. This has happened, and he's your friend, and you like him. But Maria's right. You said to him, I don't want this to be a one-night stand. And he said to you, it is. Or, you know, or at least I don't want to be in a relationship. So don't, don't accept scraps. Don't be that person who goes, you know, well, we're keeping it very casual. uh, But no, you are worth more than that. So I would say, I don't know, you know, yes, you live in a small village, but you must, there must be people to date. There must be dating websites. There must be apps. Distract yourself. We are very shallow little creatures. If you sit around thinking about this guy, you'll never get over him. If you go out and meet other people, you might. Um, yeah. I just, I, I mean, just I think, think you know, if you if you if you lay all your feelings, if you go to him, and I mean, if you go to him, it'll be a bit beggy, I think, and your heart will be crushed. Your heart is beggy, already in a very is perilous never very situation. Attractive. Becky is never no. very attractive, isn't it? Is it, Graham? And I think what's proved from this, Mary in Pipe, is that your your you know night that you spent together has kind of opened in you something a need that you perhaps have not been paying attention to, which is you do want a relationship and you do want to feel desired, etc. It's a great boost for the ego, but sometimes you have to acknowledge when it's just not going to go any further. But it's told you that you're not satisfied with your life the way. You you are and you want something more so go and chase something more with someone who is available to you and not kind of putting you off with look I'm I'm very set in my ways and I don't want anything more you know he's got a lot on his plate he's got a family it's clearly not going to work please don't think you can change him Mary you cannot you will not it's not going anywhere yes Mary make some new mistakes don't make don't make the old (laughs) Don't make the old one again. Time for the responses, part one. Uh, Darren in West Sussex says, You only live once, so make the most of the time that you have. Go for it casually and see how things develop. If you don't, you'll always wonder what might have been. Mm. Uh, Jonathan in Darlington. Oh, Mary, remember you are fabulous. Take that memory of the night and use it as motivation. Go and make some more enjoyable mistakes with other people. Maybe your friends can help with introductions if you're not so keen on apps and the like. Uh, Sue in Reading, I love this. I couldn't disagree with your advice to Mary Moore. I was in a very similar situation some years ago and after an unexpected night with a friend, suggested we started dating. He said he thought that was a bad idea. He'd been single for years and liked his lifestyle. I left it at that, but after he'd had time to think about it, asked me out and 21 years later, we're very happily married with two kids, a cat and a golden retriever. Well done you, Sue. And Billy says, this guy wants his cake and to eat it too. He wants friends with benefits, but not a relationship. You are being played by someone who likes to play on his terms. Find someone else who deserves your time and emotions. Friendships are good, but when it goes further, someone always gets hurt. My worry is that is true. Uh, but Sue in Reading, because of your cheerfulness and your uh, positivity, I am going to give you a delicious bottle of Waitrose Italian Prosecco. The best kind. Graham's Guide. Before you read this letter, uh, Kerry in Cardiff, our listener, uh, (laughs) our listener who's interested in your tissue and black T-shirt problem. (gasps) Hooray! uh, 
as being in touch. I had to rescue some black shorts. Sexy, Carrie and Cardiff. Uh, She had to rescue some black shorts from a tissue wash yesterday. She just put them in the bucket, you know, the bucket, and (laughs) sprayed the garden hose on them and left them to soak for a few minutes. So there you go. Okay, I'll put the, I've got to go and get the bucket, though, from Kerry, haven't I now? <laughs> you know, because you need the bucket. You need the I bucket. I know. <laughs> yeah. Must go to um, Kerry and get bucket. I've got another yeah. problem. Woohoo! Here it, here it is. Dear Graham and Maria, my daughter has just turned 16, and as is the way in the land of teenagers, recently she started taking a lot of liberties. Recent examples have included lying about where she's going, stealing alcohol from us sneakily, and staying out well past her curfew, among other things. As her mum, I feel like I've dealt with it honestly and fairly, and it all seems to be going well, until my husband butts in and completely undermines me. I've spoken to him about it, and he's agreed to back my decisions, but never does. And I think it's going to completely destroy the trust we have with her if she feels she can walk all over us and doesn't think we're in agreement. It's driving me crazy and I feel like I'm losing the respect I built with my family. What on earth can I do now if they're not listening to me? And that is from Emma in Redhill. Emma in Redhill, there'll be people shouting at the radio, that's me, that's me. Because it's daddy's little girl syndrome. You know, he wants to be popular with his daughter, your husband, this is. And he doesn't want to be the bad guy. You know, he's always tried to make things nice for your daughter and he wants to be her friend. She does not need a friend. This is the time. And of course, this is the time which is entirely normal behavior because they've got to start severing the apron strings. So they're pushing back on the rules, pushing back on what they can get away with. She knows now, Emma in Redhill, that you are the tough guy and that daddy is the soft guy. So she's playing you like a Stradivarius, both of you. I mean, do you share a bedroom with this man, nay, even a bed? Because you have to say to him, please be on my page. This is a very important time of life. We've got to start laying down a few rules and regulations. And you cannot undermine me. Um, You know, he's got to understand the rules as much as your daughter has to understand the rules. And that is to kind of keep her on quite a tight rein for the moment and you loosen it as you go but if he's going to just say yeah do it whatever take the alcohol I don't mind about my vintage bottle of whiskey then it is going to undermine you but you have to speak to him in no uncertain terms and withhold marital rights (laughs) Graham what do you think (laughs) oh well the thing is I think I don't think he needs to be on Emma's page but I think they need to be on the same page yeah because if he as a parent thinks that Emma is actually being too strict and is driving a wedge between them and their daughter whatever you're allowed to think that you know that these two people are parenting this girl but they need to be on the same page so you're right talk to him and have the discussions before you are standing in the hall with a rolling pin screaming at her. So mm-hmm. I just, you don't, don't, don't have a kind of parental <laughs> confab in front of her where no, you're saying two not. different things. Not. So, ha- so I think decide how you're going to approach these things. And, you know, he might be right, Emma. Maybe you are being too draconian and you are making the situation worse because that can happen too. So take a breath. 
step back for a second and don't feel like it's you against the world. You know, because I feel like you, Emma sort of thinks like the whole family's ganging up on her. No one's listening to her. No one's taking her side. She's being ignored. So don't. It's it's in a weird sort of way. It's not about you. It's about this girl. It's about your daughter. And it's how best to get her from here to 18. It's only two years. It's only two years. You've just got to get her to there. But you say being too you say being too draconian, she's stealing alcohol, she's lying about where she's going, and she's staying out well past her curfew. These are things that they have obviously, that there has been a diktat that you don't do. You don't lie, you don't steal, you don't take alcohol. She's not yet uh, 18 to drink alcohol. I know they all do. And she's staying out well past her curfew. She is pushing at the boundaries, which is entirely normal, but the boundaries are there for a reason, so they have to be enforced. Don't you think? It's not draconian. Yes, but, but I wonder, no, but I wonder, is is Emma kind of going, uh, you, you know, you stole some gin uh you are now going to be locked in your bedroom for a month and uh i've stolen every device from you and blah blah blah. and the father's going oh what about two weeks what about what about locking her in there for two weeks is that okay (laughs) so it's that kind of thing it's it's yes i'm sure the husband agrees that she should not be doing the things she's doing but i think it's about the response i don't think the husband's just rolling over and going oh well never mind i think he's going oh that's a bit harsh you know surely she can have her phone when she's at school or whatever you know I just think just they they need to get together and talk about this without her in the room and not in the heat of the moment when Emma is absolutely furious that the rules have been flaunted and and you're right there there is a different relationship there is always going to be a different relationship mothers daughters daddy daughters it's always there's always going to be a challenge there and you know this girl isn't stupid she knows that you know it's probably going to be easier to get around daddy and that's just the way of the world yeah i think emma in Redtail basically needs to invite you and me there like super nanny to observe and um stand in the living room while they talk to her and then we'll be able to tell them what they're doing wrong <laughs> yeah. invite maybe that emma. man maybe maybe that man that her daughter's got hidden in the bedroom uh he could say <laughs> he could tell her uh, where, where she's going wrong uh, let's go to your advice by the way my favorite responders today will be receiving that delicious bottle of waitrose italian prosecco now some of this advice i warn you now uh will probably annoy some parents but uh you didn't get in touch these people did so they're the ones getting on the radio uh d in sussex well now we've got to listen to d we've got to listen to d As a mom of four daughters, aged between 19 and 24, wow, all I can say is being open and honest with them as teenagers and not freaking out every time they may have done something wrong, which of course is going to be very different for all, is the way forward. I've had some issues with them, but I can honestly say that being that way with them has meant that none of them have felt the need to be sneaky because it's all out there in the open. As parents, I think we need to guide them as opposed to tell them what's right and wrong in life. And I hope they make the right decisions going forward. Well, 
congratulations to you, Dee. Uh, I would say you got lucky. But uh, there you go. You did it. You did it. You're out the other side now. Uh, Susan Harlow. I definitely advise mom to speak to husband and agree the way forward with the united decision and clarify the rules in a calm and friendly manner to the daughter. A stitch in time saves nine. And who knows what the daughter's behaviour will lead to if there's no cohesive guidance you have been warned uh, jane in sheffield after talking through with your daughter about how she shouldn't take the alcohol say there needs to be a punishment and ask her what she suggests you may be surprised at how draconian she is really well may- maybe i mean she might be drunk so uh <laughs> who knows what she'll say uh now this this is amazing. This is, this is good advice. Both you and your husband and your teenage daughter should read the brilliant book, Get Out of My Life, But First Take Me and Alex Into Town, by Tony Wolfe and Suzanne Franks. I'll repeat that. It's uh, Get Out of My Life, But First Take Me and Alex Into Town, by Tony Wolfe and Suzanne Franks. Suzanne with a Z. Uh, parents can't enforce boundaries with teens. You can't actually lock them in a room. Instead, explain the rules, and when she bends or breaks them, express your disappointment, but then move on. Don't punish. She's almost an adult. Let your husband make the rules and spend some quality time with your daughter. Be the good guy, not the bad guy. Good luck. I'm going to give the Prosecco to uh, Claire in Glasgow's West End because, you know, she she actually gave some practical advice. A book we can read. Thank you very much. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Now, movies are back, cinemas are open, and a film that so many people were looking forward to is finally out. Downton Abbey, a new era. And one of the stars of that movie joins me now, Laura Haddock. Good morning, Laura. Good morning, Graham. (laughs) (laughs) So what was this like, uh, becoming, you know, because it's kind of weird, because everyone knows each other, they've all got their ways, they know, oh, they like it like this, they like it like that, and suddenly you're the new girl. What was that like? I know, so true. Well, honestly, they are the most wonderful cast to join. Um, Definitely not just saying that, they're gorgeous. And as you say, their roots are really deep, so they know each other really well. And I think they... Having done press over the last few days, I think they really enjoy having new people come in because it, you know it's, it's exciting for them. So, but they're great, they're gorgeous. But I, there was a lot of trepidation going in because, as you say, it's a huge, it's a huge um, deal, isn't it, in this country and across the but world. But also, I, I imagine it is that thing where they just like fresh blood, where it's like, oh, thank God, yeah. someone new to talk to. Yeah. <laughs> if I hear oh, you, yeah. Bonneville's boring tennis story one more time. Um, <laughs> No, let's let's see some crazy film people come in and shake this house up. <laughs> no, because that's what's exciting. So you play you you play an actress in the film. You play a film star. But what was that? Because you're playing a, a, a silent movie star. So how did you approach it? Because it's you and, and Dominic West. You play the movie stars. How did you approach the acting bits? If you know what I mean. Yeah, because it was totally fascinating when I started diving into the time and that era when when um, silent film was turning into talkies, um, a lot of actors and actresses careers completely ended um, because they couldn't make that transition. And so my character in the movie has a very thick East London accent that she is 
you know, desperately trying to shake off so that she can make this transition um, and can't quite manage it. But a lot of them, a lot of these actors and actresses at the time weren't even English speaking. So it was a case of them learning a whole new language to be able to make that move into talkies. And it was kind of, you know, at risk of sounding a bit sad, it was kind of devastating for them because that, that was their career over. That was them retiring. So yeah, it was, it was, and, and I kind of like de- dove into sort of the Norma Talmadge of that time and was looking about how she found her voice. And there was a big movement about actors and actresses finding their voice and, and working out whether or not they could. And when you were filming, so it's, it's, how do you say, it? is it High Clear? High Clear, yeah. Yeah, High Clear. So the interiors, are the interiors in High Clear or are they sets and we're all just morons watching a film? <laughs> yeah, well, we've, so there's two parts to it. So there is the, the, the upstairs lot shoot at High Clear, and then the downstairs um, cast shoot at Ealing Studios. So that's all set up. <laughs> so horrible. I know, I know. It's hard. It's, it is. I know. Um, <laughs> let's not focus too much on that. But they're, they're, when you're driving up the um, driveway towards High Clear, you kind of hear the downtown music in you. In, in, <laughs> in the background and it and you think oh my god this place is like a character in this film it's just enormous but you're not you're not really allowed to touch anything and all the things inside are like that haven't been brought in as set are covered up with blankets and um you, you know you just you have to be really respectful of the house and I think I was a bit like but surely we can take something and the guys are like absolutely not no way we've been doing it for 12 years there's no there's no way that you're going to be taking anything so then you get sent off to the gift shop and go and buy some honey <laughs> <laughs> organic um but that's yeah. quite meta isn't it it's quite meta that you are playing an actress who's making a film in a stately home and you are an actress making a film in a stately home i know i know that was it was really fun to have that to play with and the film within the film was was really funny and we had a lot of a lot of giggles on set because I had Simon Curtis directing me in real life Hugh Dancy directing me in the film within the film and then the most important person on a film set you know in the late 20s when we were moving into talkies was the sound man so then the sound man's also directing you so at, at one point I was like guys too many cooks <laughs> <laughs> Let's just calm down. But yeah, it was very funny. And is it true that you, Bonneville, uh, got you in a bit of trouble on day one? Oh, naughty thing. I mean, he's just, he's got such a, a wicked sense of humour. And it's a safe space, right? But but we were all sat around the big table and Hugh leant over to me and he said, you know, oh, this is just such a relaxed set. And, um, and Julian really, you know, is really welcoming of you taking the script and making it your own. Um, and so you can do some ad-libbing. And, and I was sort of looking at him thinking, I don't feel like that's right, but all right, you, you, you must know. So, you know, sure, I'll put all my trust in you. So the following take, I kind of did a bit of ad-libbing and adding a bit of, <laughs> as your father. And, um, and no, that wasn't, a pre- no, you're not. <laughs> 100% not allowed to do that. It's the opposite. You must stick to the script. But of course, it's it's brilliant. So you, you want to, but cheeky thing. Julie, Julian has written the Bible. You will respect that. Yes, exactly. And you will read, <laughs> read as said. But, oh, God. 
And, and tell me this, your silent movie uh, star, actress, uh, Myrna, uh, how do, I mean, you can't tell us the plot, obviously, but if there is another Downton film, and I imagine there will be, could she be in it? <laughs> oh, interesting. Um, oh, she could maybe go back to her roots and go, yeah, potentially. Go, well, yeah, go and work in the house. That would be fun. Oh, no, you can't. No, you can't go from glamorous movie star to scrubbing the stairs. (laughs) (laughs) They have so much fun. They have so much fun down there. And I said, well, that must be because I always kind of think when I see them on a red carpet and this is so weird. You know, I work in television when I see them on a red carpet and I see the people from downstairs on the red carpet. I always think, oh, is that lovely? They've let them, they've let them <laughs> but they're all actors. What are you doing, Graham? So did you feel like that? Is there is that is there any of that on set where you where you treated the actors slightly differently? Well, no, not treated them differently, but I'm sure they would argue that they're treated differently because there's a very funny scene in the film, which I think I'm allowed to talk about now because it's out, but there's a scene when all the downstairs staff um, get an opportunity to dress up and go and be upstairs for a bit. I won't spoil the reasons why, but they they get that opportunity and it was really fun seeing them all coming coming into the room and and pulling a chair out and sitting down. They were like, we've never sat down in this room before in 12 years. We've never sat down. We always stand up at the time. I know that they were loved. They, they really enjoyed that. And they loved seeing each other. So every time a new actor came in in, in all the get-up, the, the fancy get-up, they sort of were like, oh, look at you. You look fab. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the other treat. The other treat for a lot of the actors was they got to go to the south of France, but I'm guessing you didn't get to go to the south of France. I didn't get to go to the south of France. It was touch and go as to whether they were going to get to go to the south of France, but then they they got to go. So I think that was a relief and everybody was really excited, yeah, to go. Look beautiful. It it does look beautiful. But um, of course, I I forget these things. So uh, this movie was part, was kind of wrapped up in the whole COVID thing. You, you, had you started before the first lockdown? No, so it was, uh, we'd started after the second lockdown, but obviously we still had all the rules and regulations in place. Um, So I got the call March 8th, which was the day I walked my kids back to school after that second lockdown. It was International Women's Day. Um, One of my best friends had just had a baby and my phone rang and and my agent said, oh, Simon Curtis wants to chat to you about Downton Abbey. And I was like, oh, my God, (laughs) just sort of dropped to my knees. And I was like, yes, this is so amazing. Thank you. I'd love to chat to him about it. But it was twofold, right? It was like a gorgeous opportunity to be part of that cast and in that film. But then also the industry was back and it was chugging away and it was trying to work out how we made TV and film again safely and, you know, the, everybody in the industry just seemed like it was their absolute goal to get productions back because we realised how important content was for people throughout those lockdowns. So it was, it was a really amazing thing to go back and do after those lockdowns. And also great that you were filming in, in the UK. But I'm thinking things like yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy, does, does that film in the UK? No, that was in um, America. We shot that in Atlanta. <laughs> okay, so that must be so hard. Do you do you kind of pack up the whole family and go, or do you kind of go? Okay, mommy will be back in four months. 
so so far uh, everybody comes so it's like a real traveling circus <laughs> it's, it's literally like right 10 bags three of which are filled with toys and games and activities and and you know just yeah it's mad and then we just go off and there's always a bit of um apprehension before I I go away and do something but then I've learned that I I put too much energy into worrying about doing that because actually when we're there it's amazing it's real it's really fun to get out and see the world and explore and for them for my kids I think it's really magic because they've just seen so much of the world and I hadn't at their age I was you know just kind of bit of France which obviously is great but lovely it's the world yeah it was just like you know on a ferry and going across to France but yeah they've seen they've seen so many different places and it's such a it's such a gift and it'll you know probably change and slow down now that they're at school but um but yeah it's been brilliant real adventures (laughs) well now everyone can see you in Downton Abbey a new era it's in cinemas now Finally, uh, thank you so much for joining us, Laura Haddock. A joy to talk to you. Take care of yourself now. Bye-bye. Bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. It's time to meet my second guest of the day. One of my favourite comedians, Jason Byrne, joins us. Hey. Hello, Jason. <laughs> How are you, Graham? Thanks for having us. Hey, that I'm was, delighted uh... to have you. And this is the calm before the storm because the show, yeah. it kicks off in Edinburgh and then you go straight into this massive tour. Yeah, the really weird thing there is you play there, Chris Martin playing Fix You. And I've been, I'm very different since I've seen you last, Graeme, because, uh, well, I've turned 50, right? And the reason why no. I call the show... Yes, I've just. <laughs> I know that's that's wrong. Jason Byrne yeah. shouldn't be fifty. <laughs> yeah, I know, and and still the Irish here are still doing that Irish thing, going, "You don't look fifty. You don't look fifty. <laughs> and do you reckon, Graham, that Irish people just think you really do look like that age? They, I think they do, but they just they're too they're just too nice. But also, I think in Ireland, like growing up, fifty yeah. was very different to fifty now. You know, um, like, yeah, I mean, I remember going to my dad in the pub in the 80s and I don't know, most of his mates looked like they were 86 and they were probably 27. <laughs> they were like sitting at the bar, <laughs> absolutely in bits. Going, oh my God, is he 86? No, he's 27 tomorrow, that man. <laughs> it's his 30th. <laughs> <laughs> So have you? So have you decided to kind of upgrade your body and mind because you're turning fifty? Well, no. This is what was really weird when you played that fix you thing. I and the reason why I call the show unblocked is because I had five stents put in uh, in October, right? Uh, it's it obviously to unblock some arteries, which was uh, again hereditary, and the doctor said that you know it's from your mum and dad, but it's mainly because you're Irish. <laughs> I went. <laughs> Like, Charming. This is real. I know it's going. Oh, thanks very much. He goes. Yeah, it's just you know, it's an Irish gene, and so yeah, I got um, three stents popped into me, and I just, I, I mean, it, again, thanks, mum and dad, but uh, I was reason. I have to tell you this, great. This is because I was thinking about you actually when this happened, because I was in Clare uh, for the Easter break, and remember where we all shot Father Ted out in that area? Oh yeah, remember yeah, that? Yeah. yeah. So I. Okay, so because I had the stents put in, and anybody listening, by the way, uh, if, if it's hereditary or feel any pains or anything like that, just go to your doctor. Like it's, and I just got it sorted, like, you know, really quick. But 
they said I had to exercise. Okay, so I was like, I did a bit of running, a bit of gym, and so they said maybe if you start on a bike. So I was on, I had been on a bike, right? <laughs> and I, and now listen, I I hadn't been on it for a while. Now I don't mean get on a bike with the funny clippy clop shoes, you know those dudes. With no, the, that'll yeah. kill you. Yeah, not doing that. No, I was just doing the mountain biking. But I got to the Clare uh, to Ennis Diamond. Uh, to the house I was staying in and I started to get a bit of like, like itchy in that area where you would uh, if you, well, this, this must be because I'm 50 so that area kind of in the back area where you're sitting on the saddle your bum an itchy bum great yeah, really yeah, what yeah, happens yeah, yeah. I, I got and I, I was I was fairly healthy and I thought I don't know what I've never really got one of these so I said to the, to the woman who owned the house I was renting I said can I get down to the doctor because I can't really sleep it's one of those irritating ones kind of old man ones I never thought of that one and she said she said this was so Irish and Western. She goes, "Yes, I'll ring the doctor and I'll get I'll get them down to you. No problem. I'll get you I'll get you appointment really quickly." So I'm trying to summarize here. I arrive at the doctor's because they said, "Yeah, they'll see you in ten minutes." And I got down there, and the doctor and the nurse were standing at the door, going, "There's an ambulance on its way. Don't worry, Jason. We'll sort this." And I'm standing, <laughs> going, "What are you talking about?" And they're going. Uh, it's okay. Angie told us you were having a bit of a heart attack because you just had stents put in. But apparently, <laughs> Angie, Angie had told the doctor to get me in quickly that there was something wrong with my stents. And I had to stand in front of them and patients behind them going, no, it's it's not my heart. It's I've got an itchy bum. And they said, <laughs> they said, but there's an ambulance on the way. <laughs> And I said, oh, my God, you'll have to cancel it. So, Graham, I went in, right? And I got into the doctor's. I, had, I told him, he went, OK, look, we'll have a look. So we had a look. He then prescribed some creams. And I'd, I was in a bit of a panic, you know, just because of everything that was happening. And I felt terrible. And I said, what will I do now? And he said, um, he said, well, if you get some frozen veg, that's good to ease the pain or whatever. And I wasn't even thinking. I just said, what, like some broccoli? And he said, <laughs> Looked at me and said, "How are you going to fit broccoli between your cheeks?" And I was, and then I just panicked and went, "I don't know what a carrot." And he was like, oh, "Just stop! I mean peas. Just get some frozen peas." Oh, <laughs> I didn't know. I have never been so mortified ever. And then I had to go over to, you know, in Ennis and Clare, if anyone's listening, it's a very small village and everybody knows everybody. So I had to uh, I had to go over and get medication and they gave me a suppository. Of course, the poor girl behind the counter was trying not to laugh because Jason Byrne was standing there asking this girl for some suppositories. And now everybody in Ennis just knew I had an itchy bum then. And, and, I, and an ambulance had been called for that as well, you know? Yeah, because so. that's the thing. No one, like, you know, because being on telly and doing those things is lovely. <laughs> but then when things like that happen, you really don't want to go to a chemist. <laughs> Could I have some of the cream for the itch and the But but then it got very Irish because the owner, the chemist, called me aside and it literally was like something from Father Ted. All the old all the women in the chemist were all watching, wondering why I was being called to the side. And the guy said, Listen, I've got some really good nappy rash cream that the women use if you want to use that on their babies. And I was like, please stop talking. Just give me the medication. And let me out here. I'm 50. <laughs> I am 50. 
Uh, Jason Bird, uh, we'll talk some more, but let's uh, let's take a break for some music. You've chosen a track. Uh, tell yeah. us what you've chosen, and I believe there's a particular reason you've chosen this track. Yes, I've chosen Lady. Oh God, my life. I mean, I, I it's Lady Gaga. Just dance is the song. Um, and do you need to play the track and then do a story, or do you want me to tell the story and then do the track? Which uh, do the story and then we'll do the track. Okay, okay. So Lady Gaga, Just Dance. And the reason why I do stand up, everybody listening in, is it's not my fault. Stuff just follows me around. So I was doing your show, Graeme, and I was mm-hmm. on with Lady Gaga, and I was on with Jeffrey Rush and Gwyneth Paltrow, and it was amazing fun, right? Except I just seemed to, when there's that many famous people around, I just kind of go, whoa, wouldn't want to say. So your producer said to me, okay, Lady Gaga's coming on. And I think it was her first appearance on your show. And he says, you know, you are the comic, but please don't slag her off too much. And I went, okay, I won't, I won't, I won't. And I had to bite my lip. Good advice, good advice. Yes, good advice. But she came out dressed as Lady Madonna and I was trying to bite my lip because I was going, oh my God, she looks amazing. I got to say something. going, no, don't say anything. But this was so Irish. This is what was embarrassing. You know, when she stands up to go over and sing her song, you know, that bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she kissed, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, you know, you know, Jeffrey Rush, and then she shook my hand, and I said, "I'll see you later." It was just a very Irish thing. That just means, you know, you're not even thinking, and you can actually look back at this footage. You, you wouldn't, you didn't even notice, Graham. I said, "I'll see you later," and she held on to my hand and went, "I'm sorry, you. I'm going to see you later." <laughs> and I said, "Oh no, sorry. I just mean goodbye." And she went, and she was just completely flustered. So. On went your show. Oh, by the way, Gwyneth Paltrow took out her paella, which was under under a seat. And uh, we all had yes. to pretend it was lovely. Do you remember that? Oh, I know. We couldn't I sla- do remember that paella. Oh, my God. It was under <laughs> a seat, Graham. Other shows bring it on in the tray or there's a kitchen. She took it out from under a seat and went, what do you think of it? I thought, and poor Jeffrey Rush was going, hmm, yes, yes, very, very nice. <laughs> so anyway, after the show, you know, there's a, you know, there's all the different parts of the studios, and she had a massive entourage with her. Very busy lady, wonderful, gorgeous woman as well. And this is why she was so nice. I was standing with my wife Brenda, and we were about to leave and get in the lift, and the lift opened, and there was Lady Gaga in a whole new outfit. With the, you know, the lift was full of her entourage. There was about seventeen people in there, and they're about to rush her out because the paps are waiting. And she just came in front of me, and I'm sure she must have thought. I was just an audience member that must have won a prize or something. That's a <laughs> I just stood there and I went, oh, how are you, Lady Gaga? And she was like, because she, she's about to, she's been pushed by these huge guys and they all, everybody stopped. And she went, oh, hi. I says, yeah, I'm Jason. I was just telling me. I says, oh, I said, this is the wife, Brenda. You must say hello. And Lady Gaga was like, just stuck in this Irish moment. I'm just going, oh, hello, Brenda. And I was going, I was going, so where are you off to now, lady? Where are you off to? And there was like all these men trying to push her over me to get out of the way. And she got, they got her out. They got it. And we all got into these big vans and the paparazzi followed us all. It was really brilliant. And they followed my van. You know when they do that flashy thing, Graham? They flash it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they flashed and see, they seen it was inside my van and the, the bikes just slowly pulled away and followed the van. <laughs> So listen, apart from the stents and your bum, you must be in you must be in the best health of your life because presumably you're watching what you eat, you're exercising, you're doing all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's what the surgeon said, like you know, like you know, stents is it's like getting cleared out. It's like they opened up the arteries and my blood is flowing much quicker now and yeah, I do. I feel I, I mean, I I did 
try a bit of running and I felt much better there. And then they added, you're just going to keep an eye on your diet and then they're going to keep an eye on me. So it's um, it's a re- it is a kind of godsend in a way, you know what I mean? That way, so it's good to well, it is. That they say that if you get to a certain age, what's is mm. quite good to get a serious health scare because you start taking care of yourself. Yeah, you do. I know, <laughs> but that's you know it would really help. But you see, but the thing is that but my I, my doctor said to me, you could have eat, been eating fish heads all your life, you still would have had a high cholesterol because your mum and dad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there was yeah, no yeah. way of me getting away from it. And I got it when I had when I was running. So I got my heart pain. I didn't get a heart attack, though. Uh, just got like I was in this thing and then I had to go to cardio rehab. Have you heard of that, Graeme? That type of thing. Uh, you do no. this because um, you're you're incredibly healthy, though, aren't you? You know, well, I, 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 I thought so before I was talking to you. Now I'm thinking I'm oh. Irish. I'm, I'm 59. <laughs> <laughs> Presumably, I'm about to keel over. Well, <laughs> That is unfortunately yeah, exactly what a lot of people are thinking. Going, oh, I better get checked because they see me and they go, oh, if you're sick, then hang no, because I also I might- you, I, in my head, in my head, Jason Byrne is fit as a flea. So yeah. that's what, yeah, wow. So well, yeah. The, the, yeah, but the doctors just said they said, look, look, it was a good thing that you exercised because if you didn't, you would have had even more cholesterol, and you may have just not felt it when you're sitting on the couch watching the telly. But you, a lot of time when you get heart attacks and stuff, because I didn't have a heart attack, but a couple of guys in cardio rehab, some of them did, but they all survived. Do you know what I mean? And and, and going to cardio rehab as well, as a showbiz personality, Graeme, is quite strange. (laughs) Because... (laughs) You have to do cardio rehab with ordinary people. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Oh, you... Jason. I know. I know. As if the stents, as if the stents weren't bad enough. <laughs> I know. Like, though, there is no private rehab in this situation because you have to. You go in, and uh, there's yeah, there's four other lads, and it was brilliant. Like, you know, it was only, it was like they eventually realised it was me, and they're like, oh, Jason Burnham. Okay. And so when they, so it's really funny because you know when we do stuff, um, we see funny, we see things differently to ordinary people, whatever. But ordinary people who are all listening right now who are furious going, I'm not an ordinary person. But anyway, some people are. Uh, <laughs> sell those tickets. <laughs> yeah, sell those tickets. Oh, yeah, that's why they come. That's why they come. Oh, Jason, all the ordinary people are here to see you now. Hi. So <laughs> one of the lads who, uh, he, and he, he didn't mean to, he was just telling us the advice he got from his doctor uh, of, you know, what not to do. And he, and he wasn't even laughing. I was just listening going, oh, my God, this is amazing. His doctor said, you know, because we all have just had heart surgery, we have to take it easy. So he said, especially in the bedroom, he said to this guy. And this guy was telling us the advice he got was, if you want to get a bit feisty, you know, which, which your missus, you know, a little bit of uh, bedroom yes. action. He said, um, the best thing to do is uh, run up and down the stairs three times. And if you're OK, <laughs> then you can go into the bedroom, right? And, and he, he said this happened. I mean, this is, this is like something out of Roddy Doyle. He said he was sitting watching the television and this guy is in his 60s now and his wife turned around and said, do you want to try the stairs? (laughs) (laughs) And so he said, this is great. He said he he ran up and down the stairs three times, but then he was too knackered to do anything else. So he just went to sleep. (laughs) It's like, that's not a joke. That's real. I love that. That was his advice. <laughs> I know. I was going, who's this professor of heart surgery standing there going, yeah, you run up and down the stairs and if you can make it and you don't die, then you can make love to your wife. And <laughs> going, oh, well, you should do TED Talks. <laughs> so clever. 
Oh. So listen, what are, you, are you doing warm-up gigs at the moment? Are you getting ready for this yeah. tour? Or do you do, do you do those new writing gigs and things like that? Yeah, so actually in Ireland here, I was doing a couple of warm-up gigs. And, you know, and I'll, I'll mainly gig in front... I mean, in Edinburgh, there'd be people from all walks of life, but it's mainly like British and Irish and Americans and what, what have you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I went into Dublin in the city, city centre to play a couple of gigs over a few nights, and there was no Irish, there was no English, so I was trying out stuff. <laughs> I tried out stuff. This is no... To 25 Brazilians. It's setting you up for the Edinburgh Festival. <laughs> this is a good luck, Jason. The Edinburgh Festival in August and then tour the country. Jasonburn.ie. Oh, Lovely to thanks. talk to you. Take care of yourself, oh, sir. Take care of yourself. Graham, you're so good. Bye bye. Bye 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 bye. Bye 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 bye. Still to come, we hear from Tom Felton about the third cast and run of 222, a ghost story on the West End. And we see if you can guess our mystery voice on Guess the Guest. But first, let's see what our own Jane Middlemas thought of show chef Martha's offerings. Hello, Graham. How are you? I'm uh, very well. Uh, what are you making for us this bank holiday Saturday? So, got a nice salad for your picnic spread for this bank holiday. So, this is an Ellie Pear recipe for a crunchy spice chickpea, carrot and coconut salad. Mm, my dear barbecue uh, weather, I, you're, you're being very optimistic about your picnic. But anyway, <laughs> uh, let's, let's go to Chief Bottle Washer and Taster, Jane Middlebus. Uh, how are you? you? Have you recovered from Wembley? Oh, Graham, what a night, man. I mean, I was on the stage and it was just... Wembley was absolutely stuffed, full of key workers. All the bands turned up and they were just right there. But it was the atmosphere, man. It was just, it was such an honour. And yes, I have, but I'm still, I think, on a little bit of a high. It was a beautiful night. Just beautiful. Did you, did you have to fill, as they say? I had to fill, had to do a bit of a Mexican waving, <laughs> had to do a bit of jumping up and down on the stage. I actually did the obligatory, hello, Wembley, with my hands in the air. Like pretending I was Freddie Mercury back in the day. It was quite embarrassing. I nearly got oh, the jumpsuit out, Graham, but, you know, nobody <laughs> needed that. <laughs> I, like, I like how you and Yang are lives is Thursday, Wembley. Saturday, I'm tasting salad. Glamorous uh, <laughs> <Slammer is> life. <laughs> uh, so, how are you finding the crunchy spice chickpea, carrot and coconut salad? It was really funny, right? Uh, I had a taste of it. Firstly, it's really, it's a really excellent like just a little nice assembly job this one you don't have to you know be in the kitchen for ages it's really light it's really fresh it's got a lovely citrus dressing coming through that but also I love the I love coriander right some people are it's a sort of like it sort of splits people some people really don't like it but coriander just sort of gives it that little twist but the thing that I just kept saying to Martha right and it's got a crunch (laughs) in it as well because it's got this sort of like I don't know what it is but she'll tell you about it some sort of like polenta thing on, on it and I just I ate it and, and I didn't know the ingredients and I afterwards I was going is that coconut and I was going is that is it coconut like, like me nana you know <laughs> and back in the day but uh, yeah so it's it's it was really nice but also uh, what Martha seems to have done is she's roasted the chickpeas which gives them a depth of flavour in the salad but what I was thinking Graham I was just like as a little aside to everybody is I think this is lovely on its own for like the vegans and everything for the vegetarians I'd stick a bit of feta on that I don't know Martha's oh, yeah. sort of saying yes oh, I'm into that. And I think for the, you know, the carnivores, the, the, the pescatarians, a, a bit of, I, I would say a bit of fish would be nice, maybe mm. salmon. Yeah. I would, or, or even you could go any 
any protein, I make myself hungry. Uh, chicken, <laughs> you know, chicken breast. So it, it's really versatile is what I'm saying. It's a nice one. Light, lovely and good for this beautiful weather. All right, thanks, Jane. Let's find out how to make it. Uh, Martha, you were at the gig as well, weren't you? Oh, I was. I was having a whale of a time. Did you bring a packed... Did you bring, like, Tupperware with you? Are you that person? I bought some uh, carrot and coconut salad. No, I didn't bring a Tupperware, but I did have a lovely time. The atmosphere was amazing. Excellent. All right, so uh, people are are planning uh, barbecues and picnics and things. How do you make this salad? So this is a nice, simple recipe, which we all like with salad. I feel like with the salad, it's so easy to just do all your barbecue, do your picnic, and then you go, oh, salad. And you just open a bag of leaves and put them in a corner somewhere. But this is a nice, it's a thoughtful salad. It's like I've thought about the salad. So um, we're going to start with our chickpeas. Now, you don't have to roast these. You can just open your can and put them into a bowl and combine them with some olive oil, cumin and paprika. And then they can go straight into your salad. But if you want a little bit of crunch, this is a tip that comes with the recipe. Um, Just preheat your oven to 200 degrees. Once you've put the oil on your chickpeas and the spices, stick them into the oven on a baking tray for about 30 to 35 minutes and they'll go nice and crunchy and crispy. They make a really good snack on their own like that, to be fair, but they add a nice kind of level of depth to the salad. So you want to do that in advance or you can do it just before you make it. Then we are going to lightly toast our coconuts. That just goes on a baking tray under the grill for a few minutes until it's a little bit golden. You want to grate your carrots. Don't bother with peeling your carrots unless they are horribly dirty. Just give them a good scrub, a good wash. (laughs) If you get good carrots from Waitrose, they've got really thin skins and you just won't won't notice. So no food waste. (laughs) Um, Jane's looking at me like, are you feeding me carrot skins? No, I was like, what? Jane's thinking, I just ate that. I just ate that. (laughs) She hasn't cleaned the carrots. (laughs) I promise I have cleaned them. I've scrubbed them well. Um, then literally going to put our grated carrots into a bowl. We're adding to that the juice of a whole orange, um, half a lemon. So you get this lovely zinginess, a little bit of chopped coriander. But if you don't like coriander, because it is a bit polarising, you could use a bit of mint or a bit of parsley. And then the little crunchy, so the crunchy bit of the salad comes from some pita chips. So these get added in right at the last minute. So we don't want to put these in too early or they're going to go soggy. These go in. Just before you want to serve, you add your crunchy chickpeas and your crunchy pita chips. And it just adds a little bit of body to your salad, elevates it a little bit. It's a bit like that Italian. The Italians do a really nice salad called panzanella, which has chunks of bread in it. And it just, yeah, yeah, adds a nice little crunch. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. So what do you bring to the table today? Oh, I've got a a treat. Um, If you are celebrating Eid on Monday, it is a saffron and cardamom pavlova. (laughs) That caught me up, tripped me up on my words there. It's not even easy to say. It's it's got a lot of difficult words, which makes you a very impressive host. (laughs) If you can pull this one out. And so for the end of Ramadan, is this a traditional dessert you'd have at the end of Ramadan or is it just the flavours? What is it? So I'm not sure if it's traditional, but it's a Shalina Permalu recipe. And she has kind of advised that at the end of uh, Eid or the end of Ramadan, everyone is exhausted and you need something easy. A bit like on Christmas Day, where you need something easy that you can just put together in a matter of minutes that doesn't make you sweaty in the kitchen so you can enjoy spending time with family, friends, guests or whatever. So this is a really lovely, simple, um, little cheat, sneaky uh, shop-bought pavlova base in this one so that you can Ah, definitely do it. (laughs) Okay, I've got you. Now, due to my deep paranoia that you're trying to kill me, Mark, 
Martha. Uh, I've employed my I've employed my t- my taste tester, Jane Middlemas. Uh, Jane, yes. what do you make of the saffron and cardamom pavlova? Do you know what? I'm not normally a fan of uh, meringue because meringue is really a sweet dessert. But the topping is really nice. It's got like this cream, but it's got saffron in it. And it sort of like takes the sweetness out of it. Not not completely out of it. It's a meringue. Do you know what I mean? But... Um, <laughs> But then it's got, um, it's re- it looks really pretty, this one. It's also got these like slices of tiny little, you know, the, the little almonds in there, which is, I just kept going back. Like when, when you started talking, I was like running round, like getting, scooping more <laughs> off the top to get more cream and almonds in my mouth. And um, and also it's got strawberries in there. It's, it's just really nice and fresh, the top, to go with the, the underlying sweetness. It would pick you up, you know, if you've been mm. fasting all day and that was sort of like the end of the feast, it would like really pick you up. It would be a real celebration. But the, the really interesting thing as well is because it's, you know, the end, it's a celebration. It's got gold leaf on the top, man, oh, Graham. It's fancy. I mean, it's really <laughs> fancy. And it's got gold leaf and it's got rose petals. The gold leaf tastes like nout, because gold leaf tastes like <laughs> nout. But yeah. it looks nice. But the, the rose petals just really finish it off. And it gives it that, um, it just gives it that sort of like, it looks beautiful on the plate. It's a, it's, a, it's a real sort of like you would taste this first with your eyes rather than your sort of like with your taste buds. It's really pretty. Wow. And, of course, um, as you say, quite easy to make. Because I was thinking Very. pavlova. Oh, I was thinking pavlova. Oh, come on. This is going to be so hard. <laughs> if, you just, if you're just walking down the aisle going, I'll have that, yeah. uh, then much easier. All right. Thank you very much, Jane. Let's go back to Martha and find out the uh, nitty gritty of. Uh, so basically, you buy your pavlova. So the recipe is really for the saffron cream. Yeah, absolutely. The recipe is for the topping. I mean, if you love making pavlovas or you love making meringue, you can happily make your own your own base. But the good thing about the Waitrose Cooks Ingredients base is that it almost looks homemade. It's it's got it's still got finesse, but it's not kind of machine made where it, it looks obvious that you've bought it. it. You could definitely pull this off as your own meringue. <laughs> so no one will know. <laughs> I don't think you should lie or eat. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe just say nothing. Just, just let people assume. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so we've bought our pavlova. Uh, put, put the topping together for us. So we're going to start with our cream and we're going to infuse this with a little bit of saffron. So saffron um, is an amazingly intense spice. It's got a really beautiful yellow colour. So you just want to crush a little bit of saffron into two tablespoons of your cream and then pop it into the microwave or on the hob to warm up gently just so it starts to infuse. Leave that to the side for a few minutes. And then in a big bowl, you want to whip the rest of your cream with a tiny bit of icing sugar. The meringue's already really sweet, so you just need a little bit of icing sugar. Um, And then we're going to put in some cardamom. So we're going to take the seeds out of the inside of the cardamom crush them up with a pestle and mortar sprinkle that into your cream and then add in that little bit of cream you've taken out with the saffron and fold that through and it will go a lovely golden yellow colour then you want to whip that to soft peaks you don't need an electric whisk you can just do do that by hand that's the hardest part the hardest part is over at that point you want to dollop I know nice and simple dollop that cream all over the top of your meringue base then we're going to cover it with halves of strawberries toasted flaked almonds some rose petals and then a little bit of gold leaf. Now, you've got to be careful you don't end up with this stuck all over your fingers rather than the strawberries, or, you know, you'll be very well gilded for your <laughs> events. <laughs> Better on the berries. Um, but it's a really beautiful dessert, and I think it celebrates all these lovely, fresh, kind of decadent ingredients, and it's really good for a feast. Mm. 
Gorgeous. Well, uh, if you want that recipe, if you go to our Instagram account at Virgin Radio UK, uh, stab away there and you will be led to the receipt. And also you'll see how gorgeous it looks. It uh, really is a feast for the eyes, as Jane said. Uh, Thank you very much, Martha. I'll talk to you next Saturday. Indeed. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. And it's time to meet my guest. Uh, This man got a big break early doors in the Harry Potter films. Since then, he has not stopped. And now he's hitting the West End stage, the glittering West End stage, in 222, a ghost story. His name is Tom Felton. Hello, Tom. Good morning, Graham. (laughs) How are you? Very well, my friend. Very well. How are you? I'm very well. Now, tell me this. Uh, have you, I know the show starts officially next weekend, but are you doing, yes. have, you, have you started doing previews or anything? Uh, not yet. No, we're still in our rehearsal space. So we actually moved to the uh, Criterion Theatre next week. So we're all very excited. That, I mean, okay. Before we talk too much, before we go into depth, Two Twenty Two Ghost Story, obviously it's been a big success. This is the, the kind of the third kind of version of it already. Mm. Um, uh, tell people about uh, Two Twenty Two, what it's about, who you play, that kind of thing, and then we'll talk some more about it. Uh, sure, sure. Well, it's uh, Two Twenty Two, uh, a ghost story. Yeah, as you said, it's this is it's in its third run um, now and um, essentially it's got four characters in it or potentially five depending if the um, how much you believe in ghosts <laughs> um, and uh, yeah it all takes place over one evening and it's really the um, the ins and outs of, of proving or disproving whether 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 ghosts um, are real <laughs> and now I know I haven't seen it but I know there are some big kind of frights in it it's proper kind of like ooh. Uh, kind of play what's it like what's it like sort of rehearsing those moments because presumably you need the light so you need all the things the criterion theater is going to bring yes definitely i mean i'm very lucky that i I was actually a super bit of a super fan of the previous run one of my good friends james buckley was in it and uh, uh ended up seeing it four times so i'm very familiar with what the um what the effects and what the uh all the different bits and pieces that come along with the, uh, the scares, really. Um, when I took my mom, I, I definitely had to hold her hand the the entire <laughs> for the entire play. Because what's that like? I mean, being in because you know, in, in a funny play, some audiences are you know they're better than others. Uh, in a sad play, some audiences are moved more than others. Seeing it four times, was the reaction different each time? Or is it is it like a guaranteed? You know, will every audience gasp in exactly the same place? Ah, uh, no, they are in different places, but there are enough enough um, moments of worry and jumpy moments and and um, and scary moments that even even on the fourth time, um, you certainly don't you don't see everything coming, um, and you're definitely definitely be on the edge of your edge of your seat and it's also it's 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 different in the sense that i suppose if you're watching a comedy and the whole audience laughs together then it sort of feels like a communal a communal experience this is the same thing but being terrified so you very quickly become um mates with whoever's whoever's around you <laughs> there is and also it's that lovely thing isn't it when you get a fright in the cinema in the theater then people laugh afterwards like they get a fright and then they laugh at how stupid they were oh i'm an idiot I, I, what am i doing um, and- is, exactly. You, we talked about it. It's the third kind of version of it. Um, how hmm. 
close is it to the other? I mean, because are you all a new cast or are some people um, in it for the second or third time? No, it's all it's a completely new cast. Um, and well, they're, they're seasoned. The season actors, when it comes to the stage, just obviously is my first my first crack at it. <laughs> um, oh, is this your first so ever learning. stage show? I think I did one when I was about six. I think I played Snowman number two <laughs> in some nativity <laughs> play of sorts. Um, so yeah, people, people still talk about it, Tom. Were you marvelous? Marvelous, Tom. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how much freedom do you have in terms of creating these characters or, or is it very much you know if you saw the the last production will you uh, is it very very close to that I mean obviously the, the text is the same but actually the the characters are very different um, we were the previous two runs they've all been different ages and uh backgrounds and uh yeah there's, there's actually quite a lot of freedom and we have such a fantastic team um matthew dunster our, our director has been fabulous in letting us sort of do letting us have fun with it but then also making sure that it stays true and and make sure that we um well that we get the uh, the best the best out of it really because are you the youngest cast uh no i don't think so i think i think Mandip's younger than me but um is a slight, slightly younger, slightly younger uh, cast than the than the than the previous one. You've got energy. You'll be, <laughs> you'll, be you'll be up for that run. Um, it is going to be a oh, shock yeah. if you haven't if you haven't done it before. Eight shows a week or whatever. Is it eight you're doing? Yes, it is eight. Yes. Yeah, that's uh, I've been be, told this. Yeah. It's going to be quite the challenge, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm embracing and it. And also with, the. Uh, and, yeah, and also the the other weird thing about being something like you know being someone from a franchise like Harry Potter is suddenly they all know where to find you. They know where you are. <laughs> you said that in a rather sinister tone. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, um, I'm not. I'm not used to that. So that will be a new experience as well. I suppose, stage door. <laughs> Yeah, I look forward to that. It'll be fun. And tell me this: what is the what is the gunpowder plot? Uh, wh- what is that? You play Guy Fawkes in it. It's it's an immersive digital production. I know nothing. I feel like a dog <laughs> hearing people talking. Um, or, uh, <laughs> what is it? What, what does that mean? What is it? First of all, I'm convinced my dog can understand me perfectly. Um, but yes, <laughs> it, it's a it was exactly what you said, really. And to be honest with you, I am yet to see it in its in its glory. So I couldn't I couldn't shed too much light on what an immersive um, digital experience is. But essentially, it's it's taking the Tower of London experience um, and the, and the great story of the gunpowder plot, um, bringing it to life in in a way that has definitely never been done before. I've certainly never been part of anything quite like this um so it's going to be going to be something very very unique a mixture of uh in in real life experience as well as as well as digital um vr and various other complicated things that i don't quite understand but but people can buy tickets at gunpowderplotimmersive.com so where did they go yes. when they bought a ticket did they go to the tower of london Yes, they do. It's, it's right next door, as far as I know. I haven't actually visited the the site yet because it's um, they're still just doing the finishing finishing touches on it. But yeah, essentially, it will be a um, just. I think it will hopefully be an experience that if you do come to visit London and you do, um, you know, go and do the touristy things and you want to see uh, the Tower of London, that this would make it a lot more uh, entertaining. And it sounds like it's it's really sort of the future of these sorts of experiences. So. Um, yeah, it's very, very exciting stuff. 
And also nice for you because you get to appear in a show, but you don't have to do it eight times a week. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. I'm yet to uh, yeah, yet to do my first show, let alone eight a week. But yeah, it's, 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 it's my <laughs> yeah you'll, you'll have to encourage 222 to, to do this. Can we do it as a digital immersive experience? That's, that's what see, I'm looking forward to. <laughs> I'll, see, I'll, see, I'll see what they say. <laughs> and the idea of rehearsals have you ever presumably you've never rehearsed anything like this in in this way before no not at all not at all i mean um i'm much more familiar with sort of one or two hours rehearsal um and then one or two hours of shooting um a scene or, or a um, bit of dialogue and then never seeing it ever again let alone having to repeat it uh day in day out and also to repeat it exactly the same or at least get the words exactly the same um that's a new experience for me but um yeah i'm enjoying the challenge and are you enjoying that idea i mean because you know because in in see you as you say in filming you 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 do it and somebody says that's good enough that's brilliant whatever and let's move on are you enjoying this thing of being able to dig deeper and prod around and, and try other ways of doing things yeah it's just a very different skill or a very different um different part of acting that I had have never really explored before um my mum um brought me up going to going to West End on on birthdays and so forth seeing shows um she's possibly the only person that's more excited about me being in West End than myself um so that's it it's kind of a kind of a bit of a dream come true for both of us I think yeah, I would just say be loud. So long as people can hear you, uh, that's the most. That they, if, if people can't hear you, <laughs> no, they'll here, be annoyed. Here, here. Clarity <laughs> is important, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, the Criterion's a lovely theatre because it's not too big. It's not too shouty, shouty. You'll be, you'll be fine. No, your voice. No, yeah, <laughs> your voice. Will I'm survive. learning to project. <laughs> And you're doing it very well, Tom. Very well. Jolly good. Uh, Jolly listen, good. Uh, let's just remind everybody uh, the two things you've got going. You've got the gunpowder plot immersive.com. That's for the tickets uh, to that uh, mm. immersive digital production, I said. Uh, and 222, <laughs> ghost story. Now I understand. 222, a ghost story. That's a play. And that's the Criterion <laughs> Theatre from the 7th of May. Tickets available at 222ghoststory.com. Uh, uh, Tom Felton, enjoy the rest of your uh, bank holiday and good luck next weekend break a leg thank thank you yes <laughs> as they say thanks thanks very much for having me yeah no i'm not actually encouraging you to break a leg don't <laughs> it'll be better than that. <laughs> you'll, that you'll enjoy it more than that <laughs> all right Absolutely, take care yeah. of yourself tom <laughs> bye yes the, uh, uh, the um guest guest the voice we're trying to identify today is uh this one well i, I suspect that in the history of time more uh, books have been written that way than any other way. I mean, I don't think it's so unusual. And I have... I am quite modern, Graham. I mean, I have... I've moved on from the chisel and the tablet. You know, I, d I don't hammer it out anymore. Uh, but I actually like writing with a pencil on paper. I love paper. I love pencils. I love the fact that it's my writing. It looks like my book. OK. Uh, if somebody uh, correctly identifies that voice, they will be winning the Graham Norton with Waitrose gift box containing a branded reusable hot drinks cup. Uh, you get brute champagne, salted caramel truffles, dark chocolate ginger florentines, chocolate dripped shortbread, uh, you get raspberry jam, you get aged balsamic vinegar. I mean, it is worth winning. Uh, let's go to the lines. Uh, first up, we've got Daniel. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Graham. Good morning. Good morning. Well, good afternoon. 
Mm, oh, sorry. Yes, you're right. It's good afternoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, remember, I remember that. I remember hitting the 12 o'clock mark. Uh, so tell me this, Daniel. Where are you today? I am in Worcestershire, and I'm glad I did the gardening yesterday because it is uh, raining very much here now. Oh, dear. Is that the end of your uh, bank holiday weekend plans, the gardening? Uh, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, didn't, I, didn't have, I didn't have anything uh, that exciting, to be honest. <laughs> Okay, Daniel. Uh, well, I'm I'm glad you found the time to call in. <laughs> oh, this I have tried many times, so I'm I'm very. It's a pleasure to speak with you, Graham. Oh, well, look, I'm so glad you got through. And you know, I'm, I, I mean, I, I I can't predict these things, but but uh, I, I, fingers crossed. I think we might have a winner. Uh, it wasn't the hardest uh, guest to guess. So, uh, Daniel, who do you think that voice belonged to? I believe it's Dawn French. You believe it's Dawn French? Are you right or are you wrong? Let's find out. Ooh, the tension. You're correct, Daniel. Well done. You are getting the Graham North Waitrose gift box uh, with all those goodies. Congratulations. Is there anyone you'd like to say hello to while you're on the radio? Um... Just my uh, all my closest uh, family, and um, just uh, yeah, no, and just that uh, you're very much uh, you're doing a great job on Virgin Graham. I just thought I'd uh, put that in as well. Oh, that's very kind of you. And tell me this: uh, Do you have Monday off? Are you, are you going back to work on Tuesday, or what? Oh, no, no, but, yeah, Monday off. Well, I'm based at home anyway, but um, yeah, I'm on I'm, I'm paper. I've got uh, Monday off, but no doubt I might uh, be logging on and doing the odd uh, doing the odd bit of admin. <laughs> oh, Daniel, you're. <laughs> Live a little. My bank holiday sounds amazing, doesn't it? It really does. Uh, Listen, the sooner that gift box can get to you, the better. Crack open that champagne, Daniel. Thank you so much for joining me on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Don't forget, if you have clicked that subscribe button, you get to hear a new episode every Monday morning. So, speak very soon. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio.